0: Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started because one thing I've learned about being a presenter is you start on time and you finish a few minutes before, especially before lunch, and you finish on a high note. So I like applause. So when I finish early before lunch, I usually get applause. People say, yay. You go over that, uh, you lose a lot of points. Uh, I understand being hangry. So, okay. Uh, Thanks for coming. We've got a full house. Appreciate you closing the back doors. Um, we're going to talk today about transforming the lives of wounded students. Uh, before I get started, though, I, uh, if I have to listen to somebody for an hour, I want to know a little bit about them, not a lot, but I need to know a little bit about them, know where they're coming from on the subject, what you are going to talk about. Uh, I spent about 25 years in public education, uh, did the assistant uh, high school uh, thing for five years, did the high school principal thing traditionally for one year. Wasn't my gig, uh, I, I, it was, I, I liked it, it was okay. But I really found my passion working with what I would normally call, we would normally call, at-risk youth. And I am going to be nuts if I just stand here. So this is not like me at all. So I'm going to try to move around a little bit. Um, So, okay, who's heard of at-risk students? Who's had at-risk training? Okay. Well, we're going to talk about wounded students today. So I ended up spending time... uh, 20, out of those 25 years, working in alternative education, I worked six years, six or seven years in a juvenile lockup facility. facility, uh, worked at Boys' Village, which is a residential treatment center for juvenile sex offenders, where I was a recreational therapist and then became principal of Boys' Village School. Uh, so I really found my passion, my calling, my heart working with what we would normally call at-risk youth. Um, so that's really all you need to know about me professionally. Uh, personally, I have nine children. Um, I introduce them. There's my family. My four oldest, te- uh, my four oldest uh, children are teachers. I have a son in college studying to be a teacher. So we're single-handedly trying to stop the teacher shortage in the United States. And I have four young adopted children. You can see them up there. And they all want to grow up to be like their brothers and sisters. And they all want to be teachers. So um, we are an education family, and um, we'll talk a little bit more. We've adopted from Ethiopia, China special needs program. We've adopted from Columbus, Ohio, and through foster care and private adoption agencies. So we've kind of done the whole gamut on on that. So the things I'm going to talk to you today about aren't things that I've just we're. Have a philosophy about, and hope that you have a good time with it, and hope it works for you. We have to live it out every day as parents in our home with our children. So, I think that's all you need to know. I have a wonderful wife. She's out at our table out there. You can go out and see her. She'll love to talk with you. Um, She co-authored our our book, Supporting the Wounded Educator. So that's just was released today. So, uh, Supporting the Wounded Educator. So we talk a lot about wounded kids, but we also talk about our own stuff as well. And uh, I've been presenting on this since 2006, so this isn't a new fad for me, Uh, but I will tell you quickly how I kind of got into this. Uh, In 2006, I was doing a thing with what we normally call at-risk kids with Habitat for Humanity. I was asked to do a conference and I said, no, thank you. They said, why not? I said, well, I'm not a presenter. And they said, well, if you change your mind, let us know. So something happened that day um my wife called me at work and she said joe everything's really cool now she said but and I'm, i want you to relax she said everything's fine i said okay let me have it she said our two-year-old son was hurt very bad today at our house she said so much so she said i had to throw kyler in the backseat of the car and rush him to the emergency room for critical care She said, as I'm rushing him there, I'm going 90 miles an hour. Now I'm leaving out. She's going 90 miles an hour through a school zone. She gets picked up by the police officer for going 90 miles an hour in a school zone. Police officer is coming towards her. And he's pulling out this rule book. And he's flipping open the rule book about going 90 miles an hour. And as he's getting ready to throw the book at my wife, he looks in the back seat And he sees a wounded child. He takes a set of rules here, puts it back in this hip pocket, goes into this hip pocket here. And he has a different set of rules to be a first care responder in the life of a traumatic situation. Now, I want to make sure it's very clear that I'm not saying these rules over here are not important. They're important. We need them, keep them, and we need to use them. But the problem was, what would have happened or could have happened if the police officer would have stayed stuck on those rules in that situation with my son, with my wife, what could have happened to my son? What could have happened? It could have been bad news. So my wife's telling me the story, and I'm just kind of listening. I'm like, okay, get to the point. You know, the, the police officer stopped the bleeding. Now, his job wasn't to perform surgery, give him medical care. But his job was to be a first care responder, get my wife, get my son to the experts for the critical care that my son so desperately needed. He escorted my wife and my son to the hospital, and um, everything ended up being fine. Uh, well, as fine as it could be in that situation, but everything worked out. My wife tells me the story, and I'm just like, you know, I think, I think maybe that's it. Maybe – see, how many of you have been to at-risk conferences – Okay. you ever go to this at-risk conference? See, when I would go to Boys Village or when I go to these places, they'd say, we're going to send you an at-risk conference. You're going to get information. You're going to bring this information back. You're going to transform these kids' lives. You'll be a magical teacher, and won't that be nice? So I go. I pay attention. I take notes. I go back. I apply the principles, and I would fail miserably. Anybody ever been there? Paid attention. You're really listening? And I just I thought, well, maybe I need a new career. Maybe I need to be a roofer or something like that because this isn't working but I felt like I really had a heart and a passion for these kids, but I really wasn't sure what it was I was missing. So again, going back to the story of I was asked to speak at this conference, I thought, well, maybe we have kids beyond at risk that are wounded, like my son. And maybe I'm throwing this handbook in their face for preventative measures, and they're really wounded kids. And maybe that's why I'm losing them. This was back in 2006. So I called up this, this organization that asked me to come speak. I said, look, I've never presented in my life. You want me to do this one on at-risk kids for to after Humanity? I'll do it. If you let me do one on wounded students, I want to see if anybody else in the United States thinks in 2006 that we have kids beyond at-risk that are wounded. I just want to know that. They said, how many people? They said, ooh, that sounds very interesting. How many people you want to present to? I said, well, first of all, I don't know what I'm going to say. Second of all... If I get 20 people in a room, I'll probably freak out and not be able to do it. So let's say 20 people. They said, okay, we'll put out a call. Let's put out a call, I fly to Florida, I get in, I say, hey, I'm Joe Hendershot, I'm a presenter. And they said, oh my gosh, you're Joe. I thought they were gonna say, we wasted our plane fare. They said, we have over a thousand people signed up for your wounded student session. We moved it to the grand ballroom, we have the fire marshals coming to make sure we do it. And I wanna freak out, I wanna go home. I want to go home. Now, just to keep my ego in check, my one on at-risk youth, I had 17 people. Thousand and seventeen. thousand and 17. I had my answer. That's all I wanted. So I figured I would mull my way through this, shut my computer, go home, never do this again. I have my original notes up here from 2006, they hang with me, I don't know if I'll refer to them or not, but you can see they're kind of beat up. Those are my original notes, because I don't want to go too far away from the message. So where are we going with all this? Well, let me just ask you some questions first. First of all, in the very short time we've been together, you know, I got my PhD, I did my doctoral study on this, I wrote three books on the subject. You know, I'm supposed to sound scholarly, okay? And people say, give us the scholarly definition of wounded student, Joe. And I don't think it's really scholarly at all. I think it's just kids beyond at risk. Do you have kids beyond? Now, I'm not saying we don't have at risk kids and at risk principles for at risk kids. It's good things, use them, keep them. I was the keynote speaker last year for the National Youth at Risk Conference. I walked in front of 1500 people and I said, I'm Joe Hendershot, I'm not gonna talk about at risk kids. We're going to talk about kids beyond at risk. So let me ask a few questions. How many of you in here today feel that you have kids beyond at risk in your schools? Raise your hand. Okay. Let me ask you this. How many of you have found yourself as a first care responder in the lives of these these children's wounds not because you like it, not because you signed up for it, not because you're prepared to deal with it, but you just going to work have found yourself like the police officer as a first care responder in the lives of these children. Raise your hands. A lot of hands. Here's the most important question I've asked it all over the world. I've asked it in front of 300 school resource officers, which we think that's the answer. Okay. And I'm not saying I don't love my school resource officers, I absolutely do. And I'll take 20 of them if you give them to me. Okay. I presented to school psychologists, school counselors, kindergarten, high school, colleges. I asked this question all over the world, from Australia to Alaska, we've asked it all over the world. How many of you in here feel prepared to deal with the trauma the kids are bringing into schools with today? That you, when you go back to school tomorrow, you're going to just raise your hand and say, Yes, Joe, I am totally prepared to deal with these kids. Raise your hands high. Raise your hands. I've asked that to thousands. I've talked to the guys who have guns on their hip, school psychologists. Where's my counselors in here? Okay, I want to give a big shout-out to my counselors in here. See, because I'm, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist. I was a teacher, principal, wanted to get to know my kids at a deeper level, so I just started hanging out with you. I did. I went, to my, I went to my school board and said, quit sending me to principal conferences. I know how to be a principal. Quit sending me to curriculum conferences. I know curriculum. They said, what do you want? I said, i got to hang out with the counselors. i got to go to counseling conferences. And I became a foster adoptive parent. I started hanging out with psychiatrists and psychologists and said, man, I should have had this as a teacher. See, because in colleges, and, and we're just not going to have enough time. I'm going to have to get rolling. But, <laughs> But in college, I taught in higher ed for a while, and colleges and institutions, we still training teachers today the way we trained them 30, 40, 50 years ago with a professor who was trained by somebody 30, 40, 50. So there's an 80-year gap between what we're teaching today and what we're – and our, we're paying $40,000 for – and I'm sorry, I, colleges, I'm sorry if you're – I'm just saying. But I walked into classrooms teaching classroom management, and Professor Bob stands up there and says, you know, if a kid misbehaves, there's a thing called proximity, and you just go get in their space, and they'll calm down. Now the research, when I started this in 2006, said the National Traumatic Stress Network said 25% of kids were dealing with trauma. Today the research says 50%, actually 47.9, so we'll say 50 rounded. But we're teaching our teachers today to get in kids' space, and I just told you that there's a 50-50 crack at this kid being wounded. Now I feel very comfortable in here. I went to Ohio State. I grew up in Ohio. I'm in Ohio. I'm Midwest. I'm, a, I'm at home. I feel very comfortable in here. I've met some wonderful people already here at this conference. But I can tell you this. I'm not going to get in your space today. Because I don't know you. Right? You don't want me in your space. You don't know what I'm capable of. I might call on you. Right? I might have you come up and present. Who knows? So there's a space issue. So... There's little things like that that we have to think about. All right, I got a really good rolling. We're gonna, uh, if you're into Twitter, we're at, at Hope for the Wounded. I'm not sure what that means, but my wife tells me to, to the Twitter account. We're up to 400 and some followers. I don't know. Is that good or bad? I don't know. Uh, Facebook, I know what that is. We're at Hope for the Wounded. Uh, email, Joe, at Hope for the Wounded, uh, and our website is Hope for the Wounded i like to give freebies away, Um, I'm going to give you my doctoral studies, uh, 21 questionnaire I did for my doctoral studies, most people charge for this, I'm giving it to everyone in here free. If you want to do a a 21 questionnaire on a 1.7 Likert scale, text the word HOPE to that number, it'll go right to you, if you don't get it you come see us at our table, we'll make sure you get it, and if you want to take a picture of it, I'll just pretend you're taking pictures of me, I'll smile real pretty, Um, but if you want to text the word HOPE uh, to that, you can certainly do that. Um, but there's a 21 questionnaire. Google Doc, send it out to your staff, get the information back. If you're sevens on all of it, just move past it and go find a different professional development. If you're low on that, it'll tell you the areas in which you're low. Okay? So again, I, I like to give things away so you don't walk out of here and say, hey, it was a lot of philosophy, but I don't really have any tools. You got some tools now. And we're going to talk about some more. Okay, we're going to talk about the root of the problem. We know what that is. Uh, I was taught that if you just uh, follow the handbook, get rid of the kid. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd send a kid to an expulsion. And somebody, I'd come back and people would say, did you get rid of that kid? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, Whew, you're an amazing leader. <laughs> and I'd say, but there's a problem. They're coming back. And they're coming back with hope. Or vengeance. So some people say, "Well, Joe, the kids you talk about, and the philosophy you're going to talk about, these kids are excluded." I'm going to say, "No, hold on. These kids, is, these kids are the kids that need it the most." So hang in there with me as we go. There's the statistics. Now, how does this play out in real life? Uh, I went in, did my first conference. Uh, went to my. I was working at an alternative school the next year. I went in. I said, hey, I got this philosophy of at-risk and wounded kids. I'm not sure what you really think of it. You know, I asked the very dangerous question to my staff. What do you think? Um, and um, hang on a second. I had Joe, who was a retired military Marine sergeant, was on my staff. And when Joe spoke, he spoke with authority and honor. And he was listening very intently in the back. And I said, ah, I think we got kids that are at risk, and kids that are wounded, and blah, 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 blah. And I said, what do you guys think? And Joe stood up, and Joe said, I like what you're saying. And he said, here's why. He said, first of all, I think you're telling us to quit kicking kids out of school in record numbers. And I think you're telling us to go get the kids we've lost. Now, I'm not sure I was saying all that, but I like that. He said... And I like it because you're allowing me to be a good soldier again. You're allowing me to be a good warrior again, because you see, Doctor Hendershot, a good warrior never leaves anyone in the battlefield wounded. Any military veterans in here? Anybody? Is that true or false? True. Anybody else? Did I miss anybody else? Okay. I can't speak to it. You can. What's your name, sir? Philip. Philip says it's true. Okay. So we're going to go with Philip. Because he's the experienced one in the room. So Joe says this, and I'm not military. Joe says, he takes a step further. He says, we are in a battle for our kids. We are in a war for our kids. And you're asking us to go into this battlefield and into this war. He says, but I'm going to teach you something about battle and war you don't understand. He said, some of those kids are going to say, leave me here to die. But a responsible soldier does what, Philip? isn't that a beautiful thing See what philip said pick him up and bring him anyways isn't that a beautiful concept let's give a round of applause for philip and his service to our country and here and i thought what's the two most honorable professions in the country i think it's our educators and i think it's our military i said let's combine that let's be warriors of hope for our children so we took Joe's marching orders and we started a new Warriors of Hope. Why wounded? It's the Greek word for wound. Our trauma is the Greek word for wound. Although Greeks use the term usual for, for physical injuries, we now, it's philosophical or philosoph or it can be physical. Um, it can be emotional long after the physical injuries have healed. Um, I tell you, it's tough to do this. And that, I'm doing a 12 a two-day, 12-hour training session on this because it's just hard to get in in an hour. So we're going to try to get the, the basics in. So we've already talked about at-risk, difference between at-risk and wounded. Uh, wounds, uh, wounded means something traumatic has already happened. Wounds cross all racial, gender, socioeconomic gaps. I've been all over the world on this topic. I've yet to be dismissed. and anybody say we're exempt? We've got too much money. We're exempt. I haven't heard that. Uh, this crosses all, all things. Examples of wounds are neglect, witness of violence, poverty, absence of parents, loss, etc. Now, I just want to be clear. Just because a person comes from poverty does not guarantee woundedness. Just because a person comes from a single-parent home does not guarantee woundedness. Okay? So I've seen some of the greatest kids come out of single-parent homes because their social-emotional needs are met. You've seen it too. Okay? But they can be indicators thereof, so we want to pay attention to that. Okay? Everybody with me so far? All right, here we go. So you're going to go back to your school. You say, I took the session on wounded students. Somebody's going to say, that's nice. What's a wounded student look like? Well, for the sake of time, we're going to go through it this way. Maybe overly stressed, anger, withdrawal, isolated, attachment, mental health, fearful, self-harm, sudden grades, hopelessness, attachment issues. So we could take any one of these and have an all-day PD, couldn't we? I mean, we just do one. So I'll just, I'll, I'll draw one out personally I have to deal with as a parent. Isolation. My one daughter, we adopted from a, a, a um, orphanage when she was two years old. She spent. She was abandoned at a day old. She would spent the first two years' life in a in a crib, tied to a crib. Has physical marks from the from the from being tied to her crib. Um, so 54 uh, percent of people today use timeout as a cla- as not as a classroom management tool, but as a parent parental tool. 54% of people use timeout. I've used it. I don't want anybody to sit here and think that I'm better or anything like that. Um, but do I use that with my one daughter who comes out of that type of isolation? Because what's that going to do to her? It's going to re-traumatize her. Okay. Do I feel like it sometimes? <laughs> She's nine years old. Do I start marching her to a timeout some days? Yes. Do I have to rethink it? Yes. So I'm walking, I'm going, "Uh, you're just going to stay right here with dad and we're going to talk through this. So it's not whether it's good or bad, it's it depends. Because with some of my other children, they might say, dad, I just need a break for a few minutes. So it depends. So anyways, Um, okay. Now, if you've tuned out to anything I've said, tune on in. If you're going to tune out, tune out after these next two slides. But I'm going to tell you a real quick story before we get into these two slides. Because people like takeaways. What do I have to do to work with wounded kids? Well, I was at this for a few years and I was asked to speak at a conference and they said, we have expert Joe Endershot here on wounded students. I thought, ooh, expert. I've, I've never been called an expert. Maybe I am. I got the book. So I, I stood up there and it's kind of proud of myself, and my wife calls me right after that, and she says, we've got to call for our first foster child. And they told us the need was teenage boys. I said, well, how old is he? Where's he at? She said, it's not a teenage boy. It's a little girl in Riverside Hospital, and she's five weeks premature, a little under four pounds, and is homeless. She says, what do you think? I said, I think you're halfway to that hospital. (laughs) She said, you're right, I'm in the car with Jody, my best friend. We're headed on the way to the hospital. You go get diapers and bottles. And I'm like, I knew it. So she goes and she does. She picks up our foster daughter at the time and brings brings home this little girl, literally fits in one hand. Changed my whole philosophy. I have a very hard time getting started. Every time I present, I shake, I get nervous. Until I get to this part, because I would never know whether I'm going to make it through or not. So I'm, I hope that I can. So bear with me if I can. But it changed everything for me. Because if I'm being really honest, you know, I was writing books, I was researching, I was presenting. I was the expert. But really, I had a judgment card about these kids. Now, the things I'm saying today are just true of me. may not be true of you or anybody you even know. Just true of me. But I had a judgment card against these kids still. And I'd say things like this. You know, maybe if they had chose better friends, they wouldn't be wounded. Maybe if they had better parents, they wouldn't be wounded. Better parents, better friends. Maybe if they had a better community, they wouldn't be wounded. Yeah, the darn parents, the darn community, friends, yeah, that's it. Well, my daughter, when I, my wife brought our daughter... Little girl with the heart right there. Four pounds, five weeks premature, homeless. I held this little girl in my hand, one hand, four pounds. She spoke this to my heart and said, Dad, some kids just come into the world wounded. So if you're asking me, what's a takeaway you can take today? And I'm going to say this. If you're going to work with wounded kids, you have to be able to suspend judgment. You have to be able to suspend judgment. She made me put my judgment card away. See, I'd never thought about that. I thought it was a choice. If woundedness was a choice, you tell me who would choose it. Who in here would choose woundedness? Bring on this homelessness. Bring on this anxiety. Bring on this depression. Now I got all the stats up here, and I'm not going to go through them all. And I'm, not, I'm going to give 30 seconds of them. Here's the research. that says 47.9% of our kids today are, are dealing with trauma. Local newspaper says by 2020, which we're in 2020, nationwide, nearly 11 million children are confirmed cases of abuse and neglect. 8,000 children will die this year of abuse and neglect. The need for foster families in this country is 7.2 million. Now, those are staggering numbers, but who's going to work with those 11 million children? Who's working with them every day? go. 7.2 million. Time Magazine did an article, Anxiety Depression in the American Adolescent. Time Magazine, 3 million of our teenagers today are dealing with a major depressive order. That's an increase of 7.9% to 12.5%. 6.3 million kids today are dealing with a severe anxiety disorder. 25% of our kids today are dealing with anxiety. 10 million kids out of the out of the 35 million kids that are dealing with anxiety or depression. Now, just so you don't say we're going to spend the whole hour with Joe the Downer, let me give you some good news. In spite of all this and all the tension and our book on wounded teachers and all this stuff and wounded, do you know we're still at a 40-year all-time high for graduation rate in the United States? You're doing a good job. Don't let anybody tell you you're not doing a good job. This is just facts. I'm just throwing facts at you. But we're still losing about 20%, 21% of our kids. And I believe there are our wounded kids that we're going to talk about here today. So let's, let me go into, here's the takeaways. If you've tuned out, tune in. Here we go. Uh, this is good stuff. I can say it's good stuff because I, I stole it from Dr. Terry Wardle with his permission. And he talks about trauma. He's wrote about 11 books. I did my independent doctoral work under him. Uh, Again, he's used this with adults. He's allowed me to adjust this for children with his permission. So he introduced me to the five typologies of wounds. And so I'm going to give them to you to identify woundedness of your students. Do you have kids with wounds of withholding in their childhood? What could a child be withheld that can wound them? Love, food, affection, housing, basic needs, right? What we all need. I tell the story of my son. Katayo, my wife and daughter went to Ethiopia to bring our son home from an orphanage when he was three years old, and they got there, and our son could not walk. My wife came home. They were in Ethiopia for two weeks, took our son to the doctor here in the United States, said, "Our son can't walk. What's the matter?" took X-rays of his body, he had stress fractures throughout his whole body. Lack of what? Nutrition. Nutrition. Doctor, what's the medicine? There's no medicine. There's no medicine feed him his bones will calcify he'll be walking in no time ah we thought the guy was nuts so we started feeding him started walking now I'm a runner well for the purposes of this story I'm a runner (laughs) you'd have seen me running this morning you'd have said that guy is no runner but I'm a runner and I go out and run and my son started walking my son started saying dad can I run with you it was awesome because I could run slower and shorter than I already ran so uh, it was really cool so I was getting – Katayo now six years old. He's been home three years. I'm getting ready to run a 5K race, 3.1 miles. My son comes up. I'm tying my shoes. And he says, Dad, I want to run the race with you. I says, you can't run the race with me. Come on. You had to train. I've clearly trained. He says, Dad, please. I'm like, no, Katayo, you cannot run the race with me. This is clearly about who now? Me. He says, Dad, please. I said, okay, Katao. So we took him up, got him a number, paid his fee, an entry fee, six years old. I said, there's going to be 1,500 people there, Katayo. I'm going to line up on the side, in the middle, shoot off the gun. I'm going to take off. I'll wait for you at mile one, and then I'll wait for you at mile two, and then I'll wait for you at mile three. We're going to finish that last one-tenth mile together. Won't that be nice? And aren't I a great dad? We get to the race. I shoot off the gun. (coughs) Off goes Katayo. I thought, well, this isn't working out the way I'd hoped. (laughs) But it's okay. It's cool. Because he'll die at mile one, and I'll catch up with him. He'll die at mile two. I'll scoop him up. He'll die at mile three. I'll be there for him. We're still going to finish this race together. Won't that be nice? And aren't I a great dad? I never caught up to my son, Kataya. (laughs) And as I went to the one last one-tenth mile, turned the corner towards the finish line, stood my son with the first-place gold medal around his neck, going, come on, Dad, finish strong. Finish strong, Dad, finish strong. Now, some of you are saying, well, you know, Joe's telling stories, I get it. It Maybe embellishes them a little bit to get our attention. But let me show you the picture. Now, people were coming up and saying, you're katayo's dad i'm like yeah i'm katayo's dad you must be an amazing runner yourself i'm like yeah i'm pretty good <laughs> i got 756 place i got a certificate of participation <laughs> high school coaches are coming up going where's your son going to high school i said he's six <laughs> so now my point behind this is has my son healed physically from his wounds he has a first place gold medal that says i have healed but now he walks as a first grader into his first cafeteria experience where he sees kids throwing food away. Trauma. Don't throw that food away. Don't. If you're not going to eat that, can I have your milk? Can I Don't eat that apple. And he's getting the teacher saying, sit down. This kid, he's in people's spaces and we have, po- we have policies against this. And it's supposed to be quiet in here and we digest our food when it's quiet. And he's making noise. He's di- ruining our digestion. And this kid's out of control. And who is this kid? And whose kid is this anyways? He hadn't healed from that because it wasn't lunch to him. It was life and death. So we had to get help from the experts to help our son heal from that part, and he's doing fine now. He's still running. He's in eighth grade. And I give a shout-out to his teacher, anybody that's from Gehanna that knows Brian Ingram or uh, Brian. uh, He's uh, awesome, awesome coach. um, But we need people. We need strong teachers around to help our son and he's still running today. Okay, so, wounds of withholding, wounds of aggression. I won't tell stories story for everything. Uh, wounds caused by stressful events, wounds caused by betrayal, wound caused by long-term duress. Do you have kids? Does that identify some of the wounds your kids are dealing with? Are some of your kids from all five of those wounds? Maybe. I, I won't go into college athletics, but I've worked with a lot of college athletes And they're saying, you know, my coaches are trying to prevent stuff from happening. They don't realize that I grew up this way. And they're missing the boat, Joe. They're missing it. And if they knew this, they would respond differently. Okay, so now we've identified the wounds. That's nice, but what does that mean? Wounds cause false beliefs. Do you have kids with false beliefs? What are false beliefs? False beliefs that are, I'm no good. I'm too tall. I'm too small. I'm too skinny. I'm too heavy. I'm too dumb. I'm too stupid. I can't do math. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Right? Wounds cause false beliefs. False beliefs cause emotional upheaval. Emotional upheaval causes dysfunctional behavior. Dysfunctional behavior causes life situations. Hmm. Where we get tripped up in education is we get the emotional upheaval and dysfunctional behavior, right? These kids are so emotional, they're so dysfunctional, I don't know what to do with them. Well, my counselor friends taught me to ask what questions, not why questions, since to stay out of their space. Right, counselors? You ask what questions, not why questions. So you learned little things like that, and see, instead of people like me who used to run from kids that were ha- having false beliefs and were wounded because I didn't know how to deal with them, until my counselor's friend taught me how to deal with them. So instead of how we trained our staff on this. So when I was at Boys Village one day, we had a kid came in, total dysfunction, total emotional upheaval. Instead of everybody running and trying to be, first of all, why should we be surprised? Why are we shocked to begin with? I just told you 50% of our kids are coming into school wounded. And we're shocked that they're bringing in emotional upheaval and dysfunctional behavior. No, we gotta do this. We gotta do this right here. we got to roll up our sleeves, be ready to deal with it, instead of run from it. And once my teachers got this and the administrators got it, everybody started running towards them instead of away from them. So a kid comes in one morning, dysfunctional behavior, emotional people. One of my teachers, teachers were fighting over who gets to deal with it. Oh, I'll deal with it. No, I'll deal with it. No, let me deal with it. Think about that shift for a minute. And the teacher walked up, stayed out of the space, says, what's going on? Right? Kid says, oh, I'll tell you what's going on. My mom wasn't here for the seventh weekend in a row. My mom didn't show up. And if mom don't care, then what? Nobody cares. The wound, the false belief, the emotional upheaval, the dysfunctional behavior. Everybody with me? So what do you do? I mean, I had this happen in my house just recently. My, my one daughter, uh, Katayo got up and ha- ate the last donut. My daughter has a meltdown over a donut. She sees Katayo taking the last bite. My daughter's like, I'm always last to the party. I'm, no one loves me. I, no one ever waits on me. Everybody hates me. Everyone's out to get me. The whole world, right, over a donut. We got the dysfunction. I got three books, and it's melting down in my own home. She, I mean, she's literally on the floor. And now she hits the home run of all false beliefs. The grand slam of all false beliefs. Here it is. You everybody ready for it? No one loves me. Hmm. How do I deal with this? I have to pour the truth into her brokenness. I have to pour the truth into that wound. And I had to kneel down beside her and not try to consequence her out of her trauma which I was taught to do in higher ed. Sorry. I had to kneel down beside my daughter and say, that's not true because dad loves you. She said, okay, dad, you love me, but everybody else hates me. I said, I'm not real sure of this, Kaya. Let me go check with mom. But I think mom likes you too. Okay, well, you and mom... Uh, I think you had eight brothers and sisters kind of like you too okay well my family's supposed to... well you were just named the captain of your soccer team I think your soccer uh, well my. can we just go down to the store and get another donut before I know it we're driving down the road I said you know your two sisters are still asleep can we get them a donut too that'd be nice so we went from dysfunctional behavior, emotional upheaval, false beliefs, woundedness, to conquering all that stuff just by pouring the truth through the false beliefs. Kids don't believe anybody cares. We got a lot to talk about in a half hour. We got a lot to talk about. Is this helpful? Okay. So identify the wounds. Know how to deal, deal with it. Roll up your sleeves. Run towards the problem. Set away from the problem and okay trauma is like no other experience we can't talk kids out of it we can't consequence them in the appropriate behaviors consequences never change anyone on the inside it only takes place in relationships now nah, we hate relationships to nauseam well, let me just tell you i sat on the, the united states government for averting school violence their panel the guy who uh is the number one researcher on averting school violence said do you know the number one way to avert school violence relationships the guy who was the first care responder the first SWAT team member to Columbine High School sat beside me in that committee in Washington DC last May he is no joke of a man broke down in tears and he said I am tired of rescue and recovery in this country we have got to get this down We know what the elephant in the room is. We're going to get to it. So if you don't have a, 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 an effective mentorship program in your school, get them. Get one. It's the number one way to avert school violence. I'm not saying it's true. I haven't done the research. Number one researcher for the United States government said that's what he found out. 25 years of experience. I'm going to listen to him. We can go on and on in relationships. The number one reason why kids drop out of school, surveyed by 81,499 students, 26 state and 110 schools. College of Indiana did research. Number one reason kids drop out of school, lack of, say it. Number one reason to avert school violence is? Okay. We're putting, our organization's just changed. We've been around since 2006. We're calling ourselves, we're Hope for the Wounded connecting the dots. I'm not telling anybody in this room anything that you don't already know. What I do hope today happens is this, is that you walk out and say, I got some dots connected today. Oh, we're not going to get into children and stress. Anybody in here ever said, I'm so stressed I can't think? Okay. My grandmother taught me what's true of them is true of me. What's true of me is true of them. See, we can say, I'm so stressed I can't think because we know that's true of us. of our kids are coming in wounded, they're stressed, and we're saying, sit down and take this test. We're asking them to do something we cannot even do. Well, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist. I I agree with you. Know your limits and get them to the professionals, just like the guy, the police officer had to get my daughter or my wife and son to the hospital. Get Get them to the professionals. Know your limitations. No question about it. Okay. But my counselor friends taught me that I can create safe place in my classroom. Do we all believe we can create safe place in our classroom? Guess what happens in safe place? Healing. Well, I'm not here to heal these kids. No, you're not. But you can create safe place. So we all have a a role in it. Ways to reach wounded students, build esteem, create community, develop no failure attitude, alternative discipline, extend grace and mercy. So uh, I, just for the sake of time, I can only give one example and give many in our books we do. Uh, alternative di- discipline, find redeeming qualities, operate from position of teaching, not punishing. So instead of kicking kids out of school, I sat with my staff one time, and you know, we had a discipline committee meeting in the auditorium. Auditoriums are divided into thirds. We had a third of the auditorium of people over here that said, Joe, we got to kick butt and take names. A middle third said, kick a little butt, take some names, but we got to do something different. And a third of the group of people over here said, we got to do something totally different. So we never had a common vision, so we had constant division. Folks, we need a constant vision, a common vision in this country on how to deal with our broken kids. So we had to develop a common vision. And so, I, you know, we talked about relationships and all this and kicking kids out of school, Joe's philosophy on, on Warriors of Hope and, you know, being in the, we need more seat time, we got to get graduation up. The superintendent was getting 20 angry parent phone calls a month on school discipline. Where's my superintendents? Okay. Would anybody like to not have any phone calls from school discipline? Wouldn't that be Nice. He was getting 20 a month. So we went to our teachers and said, well, Joe, this relationship thing, one of the teachers and I came up with this. Instead of kicking kids out of school, there has to be a meaningful consequence. So let's give them a teachable moment. Instead of kicking them out of school, let's give them community service. So instead of suspending kids, we would say your consequence is you're going to do community service after school on Tuesdays and Thursdays for two hours. Went to my superintendent, and I said, I need a bus to get these kids home from community service and get them around the community. But superintendent said, I can't give you a bus. I said, okay, I'll keep suspending kids. Guess what we got? Sometimes decisions got to be made. Right? We wrote a grant for $7,500, met with the union, did a memorandum of understanding. Those teachers that worked with the kids got paid for their two hours. Those wanted it good. Those that didn't, didn't. So we used it, $7,500, helped pay for the bus drivers, and ran the program. The teachers worked alongside the kids in the community, built self-esteem. Kids then were setting in the classroom. Now, I know what the question is, what do we do with the non-negotiables? I'll talk about that in just a second. But one thing we didn't want to do is turn over our power during an uh, individual's teachable moment. Um, and the teachers kept the kids, so they'd say, i do not going to send you a hender shot because – well, if a teacher sends a kid to the office, the teacher becomes a what? Snitch. A narc. What do kids hate worse than anything? Snitches and narcs. Ready? Everybody with me? Right, here we go. Snitches get? We're going to end up in? Somebody said that with passion back there. Ditches. There's a third part that rhymes I'll leave out. Some of us have heard it. So they said, you know, we got to quit. This is kind of a cool program because it allows us to keep the kids with us. We're not snitching. We're building relationships. And we're doing more with the kids. So we're calling parents. and we're We're saying, we want to spend more time with your kids. And parents are going, huh? We don't want to kick your kids out of school. We want to spend more time with them. They're going to do community service. And the parents are saying, thank you. Thank you. We had 185 community service projects one year in our school. Calculate that in the seat time, calculate that in the academic, calculate that into graduation. Everything improved. Kids kids that normally were in the paper for doing bad things, we had them doing newspaper articles for doing good things. So uh, sir program was not for non-negotiables. What do you do with non-negotiables? I had a kid that brought drugs into school one time. I had him arrest him. I had him arrested. I filed the charges. Took the kid to the expulsion hearing. I asked the superintendent. I said, can I have the last word? She said, that depends. What are you going to say? Once again, I said, I don't know. Kid got his 80 days for drugs. Kid didn't get away with anything. She said, I think Mr. Endershot has something he'd like to say. I said, Young man, drugs are going to destroy your life. We've got drug and alcohol counselors. I'm not that person. You got got to go to court yet. Please get the help you need. But I want to say this about you. You were honest through this whole process. And you see, honesty is a great quality. And you're coming back to school, and I'm going to build on that honesty. And you're going to build on that honesty because you're coming back. And thank you for being honest. The next day, the kid sits in my office with his dad. They weren't even supposed to be on school property. I could have had him arrested. He said, can we talk to you? I said, sure. I said, remember last night you said something about my son being honest? I said, yeah. He said, we talked about that. We appreciate that. I said, well, I meant that. I said, my son has something he'd like to share with you. I said, all right. Son reaches in his hip pocket, hands me a folded piece of paper, said, Mr. Endershot, here's 25 other kids that has drugs in your school today. I went, oh, crap. I've gone too far. (laughs) I've got a big mouth. I've just created a lot of work. But what was the kid saying to me? Has anybody in this room, don't raise your hand, ever needed, ever been in the ditch of life and you find your best friends in the ditch of life because they walk alongside you and they find a redeeming quality in you? Kid came back to school, served his 80 days, had full consequences, never gave another problem, spent another six months graduating, now has a family and a job in our community. No one is exempt from this philosophy. Every behavior is a teachable moment. I got some videos I want to show, but I want to get down to empathy. So you can use it with expulsions. You can use it with kids who are just general behaviors in classes. Empathy. I did my actual dissertation on empathy in education. And um, I really studied this stuff to the point of nauseam. And um, what's the definition of empathy? Empathy is our ability to step in someone else's shoes and do what? And what? Understand and see it from their perspective. Okay, we're, so we're seeing it. Now we're feeling it. Okay, so Mother Teresa once said this. Now I'm not Catholic, but she was a saint, so I'm going to listen to her. Okay, she said this The ills of society today is based on the fact that we've become indifferent to the needs of our brothers and sisters. Let me repeat that. The ills of society today is, become, is a fact because we've become indifferent to the needs of our brothers and sisters. Okay, now we're going somewhere. Now we're starting to get to that elephant in the room. Now we're going somewhere. See, we got kids today shooting their classmates and going down to the corner cafe and having a sandwich. True or false? And the media comes in and says, We have a hate crime here on campus. And what does hate? And everybody says, Yeah, like, oh, that's hate crime. And, and uh, hate's a terrible emotion. It's a wrong emotion. It's an me- emotion we shouldn't accept, that we don't like. Should never have hate. Should never have it. But it's still what? An emotion towards another human being. Indifference is what? I could give a crap. I can take out 15 of my classmates and go have a sandwich. My son graduated high school. We were in Florida a couple years ago living. We heard of the Parkland shooting. We were in Florida during that time. My son graduated that same year. Day of his graduation, I said, Kate, I'm so proud of you. What a wonderful day. He said, Dad, I'm just happy I made it out. Our kids are thinking at a different level today, folks, because of this indifference and I don't think they're hate crimes at all I think we got to properly identify it I think they're indifference crimes and we have to ask the question how have we arrived there how have we arrived here that's a tough question here's two of my kids up here well let me look before I go into this the judge of the Nuremberg trials, one of the worst crimes against humanity, we could probably all agree on that. There's other ones that are right up there equally with it, you know, slavery, Native Americans, we could go on and on. But one of the worst crimes, would, we could say, would be the Holocaust. You know what the judge of the Nuremberg trials closing comment was? Very short, but very powerful, and I think it's indicative of the day. He said, his closing comment was this, the Holocaust was a failure of empathy. What's going on in our schools today with our kids with each other is a failure of empathy. My two kids, wounded kids, but they've taught me more about empathy than my Ph.D., I was walking downtown with my daughter last year, and she's pulling on my pant, pay, pant leg, and she's like, Dad, I need a dollar. I'm like, why do you need a dollar? She's like, there's a homeless person we just passed. I gave her a dollar. She gave it to the homeless person. When she came back. She said, Dad, guy have five more dollars. I'm like, this is getting expensive. Give her five. She's giving them more homeless people. Folks, I walked right by them. I just walked right by him. My son, we were at the Columbus Zoo. We're going to see the polar bears get fed at noon, right? You know how they get fed? Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. I couldn't find my son. He's back holding the door for somebody in a wheelchair. I walked right by him. Our wounded kids, I've talked to over 3,000 kids in their jail cells in my career. One day I pushed apart all my doctoral research and said, Joe, what did these 3,000 kids say to you? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I think it's the answer to the problem. Because, see, we say today, you know, these darn kids, we don't know what they want. They don't talk. They don't, they're not really communicating with us. They're not telling us what they really need. So how do we know how to reach them? Because we just don't know. And... I'll quote my wife, I call BS. Because as I thought, with all my studies, theorists, research aside, I thought about what the 3,000 kids said to me when I asked them the what question. And at the, end question, at the end of every question, when I asked them what was going on, they would tell me the story and they would say this, do you feel me? Anybody ever heard kids say, do you feel me? Raise your hands. Empathy is the ability to feel what someone else feels. What are our kids saying to us today? Do you feel me? Here's what they're saying. Can you be empathic with me? Can I have your empathy? Can you feel my pain? True or false? False is that true or false? Our kids today are telling us exactly what they need and we have to listen. We have to listen. We end tonight with the football play of the month. It was executed with amazing precision by the Eagles the Olivet Eagles. Steve Hartman has the play and the post-game analysis on the road.
1: Between classes, they schemed and conspired. For weeks, the football players here at Olivet Middle School in Olivet, Michigan, secretly planned their remarkable play. Did anybody go, this is a crazy idea? No, everyone was in on it. Like the coaches didn't know anything about it. So we were like going behind their back. I've just never heard of a team coming up with a plan to not score.
2: It's just like to make someone's day, make someone's week, just make them happy.
1: The play, which was two plays actually, happened at a home game earlier this month. The first part of their plan was to try to get as close to the goal line as possible without scoring, even if it meant taking a dive on the one yard line, which it did. The crowd was not happy. Quarterback Parker Smith. But us kids knew, hey, we got this. This is our time. This is Keith's time. Keith Orr is the little kid in the brown jacket. Hug. He's learning disabled, struggles with boundaries, but in the sweetest possible way. Hug. Because of his special nature, it's no surprise that Keith embraces his fellow football players.
2: Hug, Gabe.
1: What is surprising is how they have embraced him. Hello. We thought it would be cool to do something for him
0: because we really wanted to prove that he
2: was part of our team and he meant a lot to us. Nothing can really explain getting a touchdown when you've never had one before.
1: Which brings us to part two of their play. If you didn't see Keith, it's because they were so protective of him. But he was in the middle of that rush. And when you crossed the goal line, what was that like?
3: Awesome. <laughs> it was like, did he just score a touchdown? Get your camera out. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh,
1: Keith's parents, Carrie and Jim, almost missed the moment, but they got the significance.
3: Somebody's always going to
1: have his back from now until the day he graduates. She's right. When the football team decides you're cool, pretty much everyone follows suit. Today, Keith is a new kid, although by no means was he the only one who was profoundly changed. What was it like for you?
2: It was like like once I saw him go in, I was smiling like about like here.
1: Wide receiver, Justice Miller.
2: Like, nothing could wipe that smile off my face.
1: Why did it affect you so much?
2: Because, like, he's never been, like, cool or popular, and he went from being, like, pretty much a nobody to making everyone's day.
1: Justice admits the play wasn't his idea. I would have not really thought about that. He says it never crossed his mind to give Keith any glory.
2: Well, I I kind of went from being somebody like, Mostly cared about myself and my friends, to caring about everyone and trying to make everyone's day and everyone's life.
1: Which may just make that touchdown the most successful football play of all time. Steve Hartman on the road in Olivet, Michigan.
0: We Hard to have a conversation after that. <laughs> My point behind showing that is this, who was affected by this empathic connection? Everybody. You cannot teach empathy. Don't leave here trying to teach empathy. It will not get it done. You will fail. You have to have your kids experience it. Position them to experience empathic connections to knock out this indifference. Twenty-five percent of our kids today coming to preschool are coming traumatized. That's just a fact. It's just a fact. Our schools, Martin Luther King says, is the place we meet all our children. Now, I have to take this in a few different ways. Sometimes, when I've, I've done this since 2006, some people say, okay, Joe, I get all this. We've got a heart for these kids, wounded kids, all, I get it, I get it. But what about academics? Academics. This has nothing to do with academics. We're leaving academics in the dirt. This is going to kill and destroy academics. Well, first of all, all the research I said, I, I've done never said when you pay attention to a child's social emotional needs, we'll wreck their academics. But I couldn't prove that. I couldn't prove that. But I had a student, I'm going to tell a real quick story, i got another video we'll close out here before lunch. I struggled with that. Actually, it's the the question that has haunted me since 2006, what about academics, Joe? It's the question that has haunted me until this past May 17th. On my Facebook Messenger at 1.57 a.m. in the morning, the question was answered by a student. Let me give you a breakdown of what happened. Katie was a student I had 20 years ago. She was 14 years old, freshman, and she allows me to use her name. Before school one morning, about 6.30 in the morning, I'm principal, I get there early, I heard this noise, kids came rushing in, threw Katie down on my desk, she was gothic, all dressed out in black, passed out, they found her in an alley before school with an overdose. I thought, I have a dead child on my desk. I reached down, felt she had a pulse, rushed to the emergency room for the sake of time, giving the real short version. She ended up being okay. She comes back to school. She will get into the drug intervention she needs, getting the help she needs. Katie's now back in school a few months. She becomes pregnant. Some, some people said, well, what are we gonna do? We all hung in there with Katie through her drugs, through her being a teen pregnant, uh, through a teen pregnancy, keeping her daughter. The night of graduation, Katie came up to me and she said, I want to walk across the stage with my daughter. I walked across the, She walked across the stage. She wanted me to present her the diploma. I gave her a diploma. I think it was 1998. Gave her a diploma. I took a new job. I hadn't seen Katie in 20 years. This may seventeenth, I one fifty seven AM in the morning, I get this message from Katie. Mr Hendershot, were you once a principal at Elyria High School? If so, I want to thank you for helping me. This isn't a yay me, this is a yay us as educators. You may not remember me, but you handed me my diploma back in two thousand two. She said I had a baby back then and I came really close to screwing up both of our futures. But everyone at the school had my back. Well, anyways, if this is the Mr. Hendershot I even knew. She doesn't even know she's talking to the right guy. (laughs) I just thought it'd be really cool to tell you something about my daughter, the young lady who walked across the stage that night with us. She's going to be a senior this year at that same high school. She is a consistent honor roll student. She's in all honors classes, is a college student as well and will graduate this year with 21 college credits and will be automatically admitted to The Ohio State University. She was also recently inducted into the National Honor Society. She's really a pretty amazing little girl. And the 18 year old mom you helped graduate from high school last year received her BSN and I'm working to be a family nurse practitioner. I know this is a random message. I'm just writing a paper late at night and I had to reflect on some things. Katie answered the question. It's not academic enough. What did Katie, what would we hear Katie say? National Honor Society, college, academic honor roll, master's degree, BSN. The question that haunted me was answered by Katie. We write about it in our third book, with her permission. She says if it helps save other students. She, she's talked privately with me about her life and how proud she now is of her kids. There's a picture of Katie and I, or 2002, the night of graduation. I told Katie, I said, you owe me one thing. You owe me one more graduation announcement, and that's for your daughter. And there's her daughter. Look how much they look alike. So I give a shout out to Katie's, the Katie's in the world, the wounded kids. So when some people say to me, well, here's the thing. Katie didn't think I remembered her. The reason I had this picture and I told her, I told her, I said, Katie, that picture is set on my desk for 20 years as an inspiration that if you could make it, every other kid can make it. She didn't even think I remembered her, and she served as an inspiration for my career. I'm going to close out with a four-minute video here. We'll close out quickly. I know lunch is at noon.
3: Okay, guys, gals, listen up. This is what I want you to do. I want each of you to step forward and take one of these Borders Bags, which contain the four books we're gonna read this semester. All right. <laughs> They're very special books and they each remind me in some way of each of you. Oh. <laughs> but before you take the books, I want you to take one of these glasses of sparkling cider and I want each of you to make a toast. We're each gonna make a toast for change. And what that means is, from this moment on, every voice that told you you can't is silenced. Every reason that tells you things will never change disappears. And the person you were before this moment, that person's turn is over. Now it's your turn. Okay? Okay. You ready to get this party going on? Oh, sh- <laughs> oh, my what? What's the deal?
2: Man, I have a boyfriend since I was like 11, you know?
3: I believe <laughs>
2: Well, I was always the person that was going to get pregnant before I turned 16 and drop out. Like my mom. Ain't going to happen.
3: Nobody ever listens to a teenager. Everybody thinks you should be happy just because you're young. They don't see the wars that we fight every single day. And one day my war will end. And I will not die and I will not tolerate abuse from anyone. I am strong.
1: My mom's kicked me out when I got jumped into the gang life. But i like her to see me graduate. i like to be 18.
2: Ms. G, carry something from my diary?
3: That'd be great.
2: that freshman year,
1: fool. What's his name? I don't
2: know. The summer was the worst summer in my short 14 years of life. It all started with a phone call. My mother was crying and begging, asking for more time. I said she were gasping for her last breath of air. She helped me as tight as she could and cried. Her tears hit my shirt like bullets. And- told me we were being evicted. She kept apologizing to me. I thought I have no home. I should have asked for something less expensive at Christmas. On the morning of the eviction, a hard knock on the door woke me up. The sheriff was there to do his job. I looked up at the sky, waiting for something to happen. My mother has no family to lean on, no money coming in. Why bother coming to school or getting good grades if I'm homeless? The bus stops in front of the school. I feel like throwing up. I'm wearing clothes from last year, some old shoes, and no new haircut. I kept thinking I get laugh at, Instead, I'm greeted by a couple of friends who were in my English class last year. And it hits me. Mrs. Goodwell, my crazy English teacher from last year, is the only person that made me think of hope. Talking with friends about last year's English and our trips, I began to feel better. I received my schedule, and the first teacher is Mrs. Gerwan, room 203. I walk into the room and feel as though all the problems in life are not so important anymore. I am home.
0: Were those kids indifferent to one another? Did the teacher teach him or did she position them to experience empathic connections? She positioned them. There's a whole lot in there. She helped her kids overcome false beliefs, emotional upheaval, dysfunctional behavior, didn't she? This just sewed everything together She created Safe Place, what was happening in Safe Place. Kids got to know each other. You saw those kids at the end shaking hands, and one kid had a tear running down his face. It's harder to hurt people that are your friends and the people that you know, that are your brothers and sisters. And until we attack this from a unified standpoint and realize we have wounded and broken kids that need us, and the teachers out there, and I am just gonna say this in my closing comment. John Steinbeck said this, to have three teachers in a lifetime to make the difference is the best of luck. I can speak up here because I had the best of luck. I came from an alcoholic father, a suicidal father who did not commit suicide, got the help he needed, overcame his addiction, but I had three teachers that walked alongside me that made the difference. I was that broken and wounded kid. So I believe in each and every one of you and what you do because I'm a product of who you are and what you do. I would not be here without people like you. So I honor the work that you do. It's one minute till lunch, you're out of here on time. God bless you, thank you.